as the pastor here at church, and I also have the honor to say to you, welcome home. Welcome home. We'll talk about what that means to be home. We'll talk about what that means when we come to church for us to focus on relationships with one another and to build one another up. We'll talk about that very soon. But I want to get a couple of announcements out of the way, uh, starting with a text message. Um, I think she's watching. Uh, Stacy asked me to stop eating so many cheeseburgers. That's not right. Hold on a second. That's another message. No, um, um, uh, Stacy just asked. Now, for those of you that don't know, uh, we allow the Boy Scouts to use our facilities, uh, and we encourage uh, them to, uh, to use as much as they can. Uh, we want to be a blessing to them, and the more you get to know us, the more, you get to, the more you'll get to know that these buildings right here are not my buildings. Uh, they're not the church's buildings per se, maybe on a piece of paper, but they're God's buildings. And any time we have an opportunity to be a blessing to our community, we want to do that. Okay, I won't preach on that today, but there's time for that. That being said, uh, Stacy, one of the leaders for the Scouts, asked if I would cook tomorrow around 7.30. I guess I'm going to cook hot dogs uh, and hamburgers. If you're watching, Stacy, the answer is yes. It'd be an honor to cook for you. And if there are anyone here that wants to come and help me cook, I would be very, very thankful. Uh, I think we're going to cook for about 60 or 70 people. Uh, we've got a, a big griddle out there, and we can do that. So if you want to be a help, come hang out with me tomorrow. I'll probably be here 6.30 or 7. That being said, uh, um, next weekend uh, we'll be having, we, we will have uh, Jennifer Kathleen. Next week's service is going to be very different in a lot of good ways. Next week's service is going to focus on worship and it's going to focus on testimony. You guys over the last two, two and a half months have been seeing uh, our, our uh, praise and worship team change uh, for the better, I believe, but you've been meeting a lot of new people and it's easy to see people stand on a stage and stand on a platform and, uh, and, and, and do the music and worship and, and, and that's wonderful, but a lot of times what's forgotten is that these are, these are lives and souls and spirits on this stage and every single one of us has a testimony. So next Sunday, I want to encourage you to be here as a, as a Sunday of worship and a, story, a, a Sunday of testimony. We'll have different members of our praise team come down, and just for a few minutes each, they will share their story about how God impacted their life. Amen. Who else coming tomorrow, uh, next Sunday? All right, two people. Very good. Moving right along. Very good. Uh, oh, I'm so sorry. Jennifer Kathleen is a former contestant on The Voice, and she'll be coming to, to do some special music with us as well. I did not mean to downplay Jennifer, but what, downsplay, what downplays everything that's happening next Sunday is the very important fact that we will be right out here in our prayer garden, and we'll have a baptism service as well. Yeah. Amen. All right, so that uh, uh, if you want to be baptized, there is a plethora of sign-up sheets in the back. Uh, we do not care about trees here at Cork. Uh, <laughs> uh, sign up if you want to be baptized. Sign up if you're curious about it, and, uh, and put your phone number down. I want to call you and talk with you and share with you the importance and relevance of baptism. Now, a lot of people say that baptism is an outward expression of an inward change, and that is true, uh, um, but truthfully, when we get down to the crux of the matter, baptism is, is you forming a new covenant with God, 
And we'll talk more about that later as well. Uh, I think we have four thus far that wants to be baptized. Um, that's awesome. If there's more, the more, the merrier. All right. Amen. Uh, lastly, baby bottles. That's a weird thing to talk about, right? Baby bottles. So there's only none left. Uh, yesterday, um, uh, last, uh, yesterday, the pastors only work on Sunday, so yesterday was Sunday for me. No, uh, last Sunday we brought, I think it was 30 baby bottles, and we put them on the piano, and we encouraged people to grab those baby bottles. Inside is what it says, uh, but one of the many things that we support here is the Pregnancy Care Center. And it's a Christ-based facility that, is, that helps women that are expecting babies. Uh, they, do all of the, they can do all of the, uh, uh, was it the, the, the scans and the, the uh, uh, what is it when you look at the baby? And the, that's it. Words. Okay, uh, so they do all of that, and they, they encourage, they offer free resources. There's a whole lot to talk about with them. But once a year, they do a big fundraiser, and they give us uh, baby bottles. And those baby bottles, we want to uh, allow anybody to take them and then fill them up with change or checks or car keys. No, probably not that. But fill them up with different things and bring them back here to the church. So we have a few brought back. Uh, we will be getting another 20 tomorrow or uh, Tuesday. Uh, if you want to come back and get some more, this will go on until Father's Day. So I want to encourage you to grab a baby bottle. Not today, clearly. But grab a baby bottle and, uh, and go and fill those up. Uh, we want to do good things. We want to do good things in our community. Now, speaking of good things, Max, would you bring your bottle up here? So I did not put, uh, push, prompt, or ask Max to do this, but he came up and grabbed a baby bottle. And on his own accord, this isn't dad's money. However, I think he uh, went through the neighborhood and then to his school. Uh, I think we have to look at some breaking and entering uh, charges. Uh, but Max filled up his bottle. And, and why, are you do why did you do it, Max? Um, to help people that are pregnant. To help people that are pregnant. Amen. Can we give Max a round of applause? Take that bottle and put it right up there. And then you're free to go to Children's Church unless you want to watch what's coming up next. You want to watch it? Okay. Um, who knows what this is? It's a screwdriver. Exactly. No, it's a phone. So... Uh, we found, a little while back, we found this app on your phone, uh, and I'm going somewhere with this. We found this app on your phone, uh, and you can put little filters on it, and there's a filter that makes you look like you're crying. Have you, anybody seen that thing? It's really, it's really weird, okay? So I found this filter, and I pointed the camera at Max, and I asked Max to talk and, and, uh, and asked him a few things. Uh, but then I was able to switch the camera around to where he could see what he looked like. And I, I am so sorry to embarrass you, son. But I'd like to share your video with everyone uh, here and online. Jules, play that video real quick. I want you to tell me, did you have a good time today at church? Are, are you sure? Yeah. Are you, are you okay? Yeah. Son, what, what's going on? Nothing. Here, maybe you should look. <laughs> hey. <laughs> 
<laughs> Where are you crying? We'll smile real big then if you're not sad. Uh, Mom, do you love our children? Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Max. You can go to Children's Church now. That was pretty good. So, so why are we sharing these things? You don't really realize it, but we got into service already and into the sermon already. Today, we're going to talk about our reflection. Max saw this, and he didn't know how to react. This something about this computer and our, and our smartphones was able to take his smile and turn it into a frown. But when he saw that, he didn't know how to respond. He, he laughed. He was confused. You couldn't really hear it that well. I don't, well, maybe you could. But he looked away and went, hey, that's not me, right? So we're talking about our reflections. This was confusion, confusing to him. But today, I want us to look in the mirror and recognize that our reflection plays a major role in our lives. Can I do that this morning? Amen. I was going to do it anyway. Let's open our Bible to 1 Samuel. And if you have your Bible, amen. I don't have a Bible because the words are really small and I can't see very well. So this is my Bible for now. But I encourage everyone to bring their Bible so they can cross-reference what I'm doing and what I'm saying because what I say doesn't matter as much as what God has for us and what God has me saying. So check me, right? Fact-checking. That is kind of a thing that we're doing now, right? So we're going to be in 1 Samuel 16, and we're going to stay there for the, for the majority of things. So if you just put your thumb there, we're going to go to 1 Samuel 16, and we're going to read from verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. If you would, bow your heads with me for just a moment and let's ask a blessing over this service. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for, for everyone that's joining us here today. Lord, I ask that you anoint my tongue and the only things that I say are things that you've given me, Lord. This is not 20 minutes of Jade. This is 20 minutes of you, Father. Allow the message to go out to open ears and open hearts. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. So, Looking back at the scripture, and it's saying, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. Who are we talking about, I have rejected him? We're going to go into that. But it's not the term of rejection that you think about. Uh, it's just not the person that God had in mind. So we're going to go and, uh, and talk about that here in a minute. Now, before we get started, I feel uh, we have a, a good bit of new, new faces here. Um, and, and, and welcome, welcome home. But I feel that it is important that I share just a little bit about who I am and maybe why I'm here. So uh, I wasn't raised in church. As a matter of fact, I didn't know what church was until about 14. When I was 14, I found out that the Baptist church uh, in the area, they did a once a month uh, eating meeting, right? I'm from Louisiana, by the way. They did a once a month eating meeting, and I had fried chicken. Well, I was a smart, smart cookie, and I thought, maybe other churches do this too. 
So the first little while of my, uh, of my uh, life discovering what church is, is there is four Baptist churches that I really liked. It just happened that I really liked them on the days that they were making chicken. So I would make my rounds in this small town in Louisiana, and I would go to chicken day, but there just happened to be God there too. That was an interesting introduction to who God was, and that has forever changed my life. But uh, I digress. We're going to move on from there. Uh, I, I uh, drove my first race car at 14. I, uh, my, my father uh, uh, and I, we built cars. We did dirt track racing. Uh, I drove a limited late model car. Uh, uh, wonderful machine. Uh, very, very fast. Big tires. We rode on a, on a clay track. Uh, incidentally, uh, at 14, um, I, I rode a stock car and the rear um, right tire, rear passenger tire broke off and I did three or four flips. Uh, and that was quickly the end of my uh, racing uh, career. There's a video floating around of me somewhere uh, crawling out of a car that was flipped upside down, and I'm crawling out of this car at 14 years old, saying every cuss word that I'd learned in my whole life, and kicking the car and telling the people to turn it back around because the race wasn't over. At some point and later in my life, I became uh, a television director. I was a, uh, a, not just a, but the youngest director in the history of, uh, of broadcast news. Uh, we had 80 million viewers uh, a night, if memory serves. Uh, it went very well. At some point, I decided that uh, that wasn't the life that I wanted to live. There's a testimony in there. And then I went and I, I began to form several businesses. And over the last 10 or 11 years, um, I've been traveling. I've only been to about 48 states. Uh, and I've been traveling and uh, coaching and teaching uh, different aspects of uh, ministry and music and television and movies. I did some stuff with film, et cetera, et cetera. Um, uh, and then, well, um, I started to do uh, large-scale events. The, uh, the, uh, the uh, thing that, uh, that I had done before I uh, was asked to come to this church uh, was something with, uh, J with uh, Jonathan Kahn and Mike Lindell, and we did it right here in Plant City in that 10,000-seat arena, and it was a blessing. And, and long story short, for whatever reason, God called me to be here. And I've been here just a little bit over a year now, and it's been some of the most difficult but also some of the most rewarding times of my life. Now, I shared these accomplishments with you. Uh, I didn't talk about uh, my background in ministry and the churches that I've led before. That's something we could have at another time. But I, I talked about all of these things that I was able to do, have been able to do, uh, and, and, and I want to talk about the reason for that. So you see uh, a person behind a race car. I got a trophy, by the way. It was a rollover trophy, but it was a trophy nonetheless. You see a person behind a race car, and like, oh, wow, this kid's really cool. And then you see a person directing this TV thing. Oh, yeah, that's really cool. How can he do that? It, it, uh, well, I was 21 when I was 22 when I started, I think. Um, and, and then you see all of these things. But what you don't see is I didn't know church because I spent the first chunk of my life thinking that our families are designed to be in chaos because my mom was an alcoholic and my dad was passionately in love with my mom. And all of those times that my mom was drinking, to the point where there were some times we couldn't pay our bills and the electricity would get cut off. And my mom was unfaithful to my dad. And my dad loved my mom very much, and he stuck with her through the whole thing. He did not believe 
that his love for my mom was temporary. But that's all I saw as a child. That's why I didn't really understand church beyond fried chicken. But then I was also, uh, when I was born, I was also born blind. I couldn't see my hand in front of me. If I, I, if I would have thought about it before today, I would have shown you a picture of me as an infant laying in the bed between my mom and dad, and my arms were taped. One arm was taped to my dad's arm, and the other arm was taped to my mom's arm because over a period of time, I had 17 surgeries on my eyes to bring me to where I am now, but I couldn't touch my face for several years because of all of the surgeries and all of that. But what did that do? Well, that put a mirror in front of me. And I can, on the outside, you can see these areas of success, but on the inside, what drove me to race that car was, was me looking in the mirror and seeing the product of a troubled childhood and someone that wasn't afraid to die. Then, then I saw someone that was born blind and will always be to an extent blind, and there's nothing that anyone can do about it, but by golly, no one is going to tell me what to do, so I'm going to get behind that car. Or I'm going to go and I'm going to start working and I'm going to give everything I have and bust my behind in every aspect that I can because who I saw in the mirror said I couldn't do it. And I was so angry at who I saw in the mirror, I tried to become the absolute best at the everything that I did, which which, by the way, was my downfall in television. The good news is I was the youngest director in the history of TV, period. The bad news is I knew I was the youngest director in this, in this, in this whatever of t uh, history of TV. The, that's bad news because I was full of pride. And I was full of anger, and no one could tell me anything. No one could teach me anything because I had already reached the peak of what I thought the peak could be. And since I did this by myself, not because of God, not because of my cheating mom, not because of my alcoholic family, but because I didn't like who I saw in the mirror and I decided I wanted to be something else. But how many of you know that's the wrong approach to take? We find success in life, but how we get there, and those of you that ride motorcycles know it's not about the destination, it's about the journey. I got to these incredible places, but the mirror of my life, and I would leave work, and I would have all of these people under me, and I would get home in the darkness and the silence of the night, and I would brush my teeth, and I would look in the mirror, and I couldn't stand who I saw. This is in contrast to what we talked about a few weeks ago about putting a mask on and presenting and projecting something. We're going deeper today with that for the how that reflection looks, how we look to ourselves, what we think about ourselves. Spoiler alert, we are our own worst critic. Now let's go back to what we were reading. And we were in 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 7. We're going to read that story together and we're going to get some context out of this story. And you're going you're gonna to understand this is Samuel, a prophet of God, coming to identify the next king of Israel. So there's four major players to consider. Samuel, the prophet. Saul, which was the first king of Israel. How many know Saul wasn't really a great guy? How many know he had some issues? How many of you know that we probably have some presidents, either present or past, that remind us of Saul? Do not say who, because they're not, it's not very nice. 
Then we have Jesse, which is the, which is the father of these children we're going to see. And then we have David, a small boy, probably five foot tall. And of course, and most importantly, we have God. So we're going to read this story together, and I'll try to make it quick, but this is important. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 1 through 12. We'll stop there. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. Saul's not a great guy. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint, you are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said when he arrived at Bethlehem. The elders of the town trembled when they, saw, when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to, the, come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw uh, Eliab and thought, surely... Samuel saw Eliab. This is Jesse's oldest, eldest son. Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance for his height, for I have rejected him. Note, God did not reject Eliab in the way that we see rejection. He's saying, He is not the one that I have chosen to be king. The Lord does not look at the things people look at like we're considering Eliab and others. He doesn't look at what people see. Uh, people see the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called uh, Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, and Samuel said, Nor, Nope, not him, nor has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are all these the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending to the sheep. Samuel said, Send him, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him. And he had brought in, he was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. The Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. This is our introduction to King David or to David as a boy that would later become a king. Now there's so much to unpack here. And what I love about scripture is we could read the same sets of verses over and over again and God can choose to reveal different things. So there's so much to unpack. But we're going to focus on the mirror. We're going to focus on the reflection. We're going to focus on what people see. Let's keep in focus today reflections. Okay? Or appearances. Here, Eliab was the firstborn. Probably the strongest. Probably the wisest from outward experiences, probably fits the look of a king. But those are all of things that we observe as people. That's not what God observed in his heart. Jesse showed Samuel what we could all observe. God revealed to Samuel the reflections of David's heart. Try to keep up, Jules. 
David, small in stature, young, not yet qualified, but he carried the heart reflection of a warrior. This is important. How we view ourselves is vitally important in every aspect of our lives. Let's go forward just one more chapter. We're going to go to 1 Samuel chapter 17, and we're going to read verses 42 and 43. Now, this is the story of David and Goliath. I'm not going to read the whole story, uh, but I am going to make a few of you mad at me, and that's okay. So verse 42 says, He looked David over and saw that he was a little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Okay. When we have guests here, there's some logic to follow. The logic is, say a nice, cushy, inspiring sermon. Don't make anybody mad in hopes that they come back. I'm going to break that mold. And I'm going to share with you an opinion that's based off of observations that have been made. But bear with me, because what I'm about to say may hold some heart to how you perceive this story. And I have to preface that the views and opinions expressed in my sermon do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of blah, blah, blah. You guys see that on TV? So the way that David appeared to Goliath was in stark contrast of how David viewed himself. And let's look at this. I don't think that the story of David and Goliath is an underdog story. I don't feel that the story of David and Goliath is an underdog story. And why is that? I think Goliath was the underdog. And I think David was just the right person for the job. And let's dive into that. Now, I shared this a while back, so I'm going to do an abbreviated version, but come have coffee with me. Let's talk about this, okay? So first, we need to understand the landscape of the environment and understand that we have the Philistines and we have the Israelites, and the way that this is mapped out, if we were to look at it on a linear place, we have a mountain here, and we have a plain here, a valley here, and we have a mountain here. Now, Scripture says there was a long period of time where these two armies stood off and they were at, they were at stalemate together. Now, why is that? Well, our Philistines on this side, if they were to conquer the land, they would have to go up the hill and to face the Israelites. Now, as you're going up a hill, you have a strategic disadvantage to who's above you. And the same way, the Israelites wanted the Philistines off of their land, but they could not go and approach the Philistines because they were also on this hilltop or on this mountain. And for them to attack first would be death to that army. So there was a standstill. There was a standoff for a period of time. 
So what do the Philistines do? Well, they send their greatest warrior down the mountain into the valley and challenges the Israelites. And this is very common, by the way, in this time. Is, is, and I forget the term for this, but they're sending a man to represent his army. They're asking for a man to represent the army. And these one people will duel. They'll fight to the death, and to the victor goes the spoils. They did this for a reason. They did this to save lives, to avoid the fallout of war. So it's very common for a, a, a team, an a, a army, to send out their best and for the other side to send out their best. This is how things were settled to avoid as much collateral damage as possible. So they were in a deadlock. Now why would we call David an underdog? David by stature is a, a small uh, a boy. I'm going to ask Carolyn Boss to stand up. Could you stand up for just a second? Okay. Now I'm going to, and just a second, and now Bob, Captain Bob, could you stand up for a second? Okay, so we have a little bit of a size difference here, right? So Carolyn is David, and Captain Bob is, is Goliath, okay? Now if Carolyn were to go up and fight Captain Bob, who would win? Maybe. Carolyn, Carolyn carries a gun. Okay, you guys can be seated. Thank you for helping me. But understand that there's a clear difference between the two. So at all appearances, David is the underdog here. And we also looked at the difference between modern weaponry and no armor. Goliath was armed to the teeth. He had all of this armor on. He had another human carrying a shield for him, and he had a spear, and he had a sword, and he's ready for war, and here comes David, completely unprepared in that sense, with no armor. And you see, okay, here's Goliath. For all intents and purposes, he should win this battle, which makes David the underdog. Well, let's keep looking at this. So, in war, in battle, we have three major elements. We have the cavalry. Those are the ones on horseback that usually lead the charge. Then we have the heavy entrancy. Those, uh, in, excuse me, heavy infantry. Those are the people that are armed, uh, that are, that are uh, protected. They're foot soldiers, uh, and they run into battle. But then we have the archers and, archery and the slingers. This is what David has. When we're children, we think of a sling, a slingshot, like something like Bart Simpson would use, right? You pull it back and you hit him with a slingshot, right? Those things smart, but this isn't the sling we're talking about in Scripture. This is actually a weapon of battle, and you take this stone and you put it and you spin it and you get momentum and you sling it and you hit something. That is what people would use a lot like bows and arrows, a lot like archery. But let's keep, let's keep reading this, okay? This stones, by the way, these stones, uh, and I think I wrote down what, uh, what they're made of, but you can sling, you can spin that sling so fast and release it. Hello, Wade's Mike. And then you can throw it, and that stone is traveling at 100 miles an hour. Barium sulfate is what these stones were made of. They're not regular, not normal stones. This equate, equates these two things, the fact that these are much more dense and much more heavy, and the fact that they're smooth, they're aerodynamic, 
and they're in this sling that's being spun at 100 miles an hour, that carries the impact power of a Colt 45 handgun. Accuracy is another thing. Up to 200 yards, some of these slingers were able to sling that and hit a soda can off the top of a fence post. And no, there weren't any soda cans in the Bible. This is an example. So, uh, and, then we, and then let's look at David. Who was David? All the way from boyhood, as he's growing up, he becomes a shepherd. His job is to keep that flock safe, is to keep dangers from coming. And we read that he's went up against lions. <clears throat> Excuse me. That he's went up against lions, and he's been able to thwart off this, these attacks. So it's not like he picked up a sling and goes, well, what the hey, we're going to give this a shot. No, he spent his entire life preparing for this. Now let's look at Goliath. All right, so I think we also misunderstood Goliath. There are many hints in biblical texts that said, well, we do know that Goliath was a giant. Okay? Goliath was slow moving. Goliath is slow to realize who David is. I hope I can pronounce this right. I'm not a doctor. I can barely read good, but let's try this. Goliath, uh, Goliath uh, you know, scholars. Now, please note this. This is my theory. This is my theory. But Goliath was just under seven foot tall. I think if we were to estimate that, he would be six foot nine. At that time, this is a giant of a man. Well, people that large suffer from... Uh, 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 Acromically, I don't know, we're going to leave that alone, I'm not going to try it. But the side effect of this is, uh, is a tumor forming on your pituitary gland, and that impacts your vision, causing failed vision. There are a couple of other things to identify. The fact that when Goliath came down, Scripture says Goliath was led down the mountain. Now, why was Goliath led down the mountain? And then Goliath saw David coming, but didn't register a response until he was relatively close. And he said, who, who am, what am I, a dog, that you send a boy with sticks to come and fight me? It could be argued that that one staff appeared like two sticks to Goliath because of double vision. These are all theories. But the fact is, we're putting an infantryman, we're putting a warrior face-to-face -face with someone that is used to hitting a target from far, far away. And the fact that Goliath expected this boy to come at him and use strength to overcome him, he misjudged the situation when actually David has been preparing his entire life to defeat a man such as this. I challenge you to think that David and Goliath may not be an underdog story. Now, what does that mean? You could say, oh my word, that takes away what God's miracle was. That takes away the, the, the miracle of God touching that situation. But how many times in our life do we actually see something right in front of our eyes miraculously happen? It happens I've seen it, but how many times in your life have you bore witness to something that was clearly uh, God turning the tides on a situation, or 
Has God been dealing in the background with your situation and been working with that over time and been preparing the miracle for some period of time? My challenge to you is by, by my pers- per, uh, perspective on David and Goliath, it in no way takes away from the miracle of God, but it adds to it in the sense that God knew about this battle from before David was born, and God put David in a position in his entire life to prepare for the battle of his life. That is pretty miraculous to me. In our lives, how much has God tuned us and shaped us and molded us over time? Wade is an exceptional musician. He's a professional musician. I know a lot of musicians that don't get paid. Wade did not wake up one day and go, well, I'm just going to be good at everything today. No, Wade took the time and he put in the work. Now, God could make Wade that way. But if God flipped a switch in Wade and just made him good at everything, what kind of person would Wade become? He could be selfish. He could be arrogant. He could be all of these things. But when God works in our lives over periods of time, he shapes us and molds us into the person that that he has always designed us to be. One more time before you quit and go find another church, I think David and Goliath was not an underdog story, but I think the magnification of the miracle is bigger than we could ever comprehend. Again, you don't have to agree with me. This is an idea. This is a thought. But the moral of this story is God, as Goliath saw his reflection, he saw himself as an unbeatable foe, and it filled him with pride. He wakes up in the morning. He could have looked in that mirror. He could have beat his chest, and that gave him a false sense of pride that he could defeat anything. David, that morning, woke up and looked in the mirror, and he saw a reflection of God and God's love and God's ability to do in him mighty things. David put his trust in God. How we view ourselves, again, is very, very important, and this brings us to the importance of speaking life. Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 32 It says, if you play the fool and exalt yourself, or if you plan evil, clap your hand over your mouth. Another translation reads, do not confess that negative thoughts in your mind, rather speak life to every situation around you. We live in a fallen world. It's no secret, it's no surprise since the fall of man. This piece of property that we're standing on is Satan's stomping ground. And what he does is he puts that mirror in your bedroom and he forces you to look at all of the negative things in your life. And he forces you to consider that you are not good enough, that you're not a strong enough wife, you're not a loving wife, you're not a good mother, I'm not a good father. Those are the mirrors that he puts in our life. So that's when it becomes our responsibility to understand that speaking life is healing on a a molecular level. We look in that mirror and we see those bad things. We need to speak life. But more importantly, we roll into the purpose of the church. And this is what every single church should do. We have a five-fold ministry here, here, but it all comes down 
to speaking life. Church must be a place of encouragement. We must be a place that you can take you can take your dirty sins and dust them off at the door and come here and know that God is a healing God, that Jesus died for our sins. And you know that. We know that. I know that, and I still wake up depressed. Some Sundays I feel like we have an amazing service, but by the end of the day the enemy goes, man, you really should have said this. They're going to realize that you're not, you're not a great, you know, perfect person. They're going to find some skeletons in your closet. By the way, every single one of you and me has a skeleton in our closet. But the devil holds the mirror to that. So what do we do about it? Well, we can, one, look at it in one direction and go, well, I just need positive self-talk in Jesus. But it's almost impossible for us to lift ourselves up every step of the way. Even when we seek God, God answers prayer in the forms of places like this church. We need to be an encouragement to one another. We need to speak life. We need to speak life to ourselves. We need to speak life to one another. And you need to find a church, any church, not, this, not just this church, any church, you must find a church that you feel like you're at home and you feel like that they are feeding you a dish of life. Negative talk is for outside of these doors and for other people, but when you're a part of this church and the body of Christ, it's our mission to encourage one another and to lift one another up. It is our mission as we are making disciples to speak life. Shame on any church that does not speak life. By the way, speaking life is not just, hey, you did a good job, here's a good boy. It's, no, speaking life is not just that. Speaking life is also, also in the form of admonishments. But there's a time to do that, and a time to do that in a favor of speaking light. It was an absolute pleasure during practice yesterday when there was a, someone in the band that wasn't cry, quite doing something, and then our leader stepped into place and said, hey, let's try this a different way. He could say, oh, that's wrong, you need to do it like this. Or he could say, hey, that sounds good, but let's try this. We can teach each other, we can correct each other, but we do it while in the fashion of speaking life. 280 million people around the world suffer from depression. 200 and million, 280 million people. That's almost as many fans that Wade has on uh, Spotify. We see evidence of the importance of speaking life even through the example of social media. So, so l let's say that I've made all of this up, and I haven't, but let's say that I made all of this up and that speaking life is just some piece of old dead text, Right? But then let's look at real world examples of this. We look, at, we look at things like social media. Social media, I think Facebook got started in 2006, I think. So between 2007 and 2011, suicide rates have increased by, who wants to guess? What percentage have suicide rates increased over five years? What's that? 70? What if I told you suicide rates have increased since 2007 by 169 percent so if you if you don't believe me that speaking life is 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 extremely important 
Then let's look at the other side where we have so many people with so many opinions and so many people want to talk down to each other and so many people don't get the affirmation they're looking for on social media. Life is not spoken to them and now we're at a global scale of an internet that's supposed to do all of these amazing things but it's turning into a tool of hatred and anger. I'm not saying don't lose Facebook and don't go away from Facebook or stay off the internet. I'm saying that we face the fact that we live in a world where people don't speak life. What if we as the church can change that? Not just this church, but the church, big C church. The importance of the church is astronomical. I've got some numbers up here, Jules. 68% of Americans polled feel that going to church helps them with those suffering with depression. 32% saying that reading and studying the Bible alone helps with their depression. We have a job here at this church. And I'm going to say this church because this is the church that God has entrusted me to, to shepherd over. We have a job and we better do it. Not because I said so, but because God said so. We must speak life in every single situation of our life, even the times when it really stinks. There's always good to be found in every situation, and there's always good to be said. We need to, as a church, speak life. There's a difference, in case you didn't know, between a pastor and a preacher. I think I was hired on as a preacher. I was introduced for a while. Hey, this is our preacher. It was really funny. I remember one lady that I won't call her name out. She introduced me to someone in the church. She goes, this is our new preacher. She goes, he doesn't look like one, does he? I'm okay with that. There's a difference between a pastor and a preacher. A preacher's goal is to teach the word of God. He's a public speaker. He can be encouraging. His place is a place of, of spreading and preaching the gospel. A pastor's job is to lift the congregation up, to lift up those that are seeking and needing to know what God's love is. Now, a pastor often preaches, and a pastor can be a preacher, but there's a big difference there are some people that will preach to you and share with you the knowledge of the Word of God. And then there are some people that are pastors that will speak to you on Sunday, that will have a conversation with you, but don't let that ministry end on that Sunday. I look forward to going with one of you on the 25th for a surgery. And then there's another on the 26th. I'll be there with you. I'll be there with any of you that I can because it's an honor to be your pastor. I care about teaching you the Word of God, but I care more about where you are, how your health is, how your soul is. Is there a commune between your spirit and your soul? That's the role of a pastor. Finding the right church is important. And uh, not the whole praise band, but Phyllis, if you'll come up for just a moment and help me as we get ready to close. Uh, and I suppose by extension the band can come up as well, but... Finding the right church is immensely important. And I don't mind if it's not this church. We have a strategic goal. We, have a, we, have, you know, we want to fill the seats, but we don't want to fill the seats in this church for the sake of filling the seats. It's not a numbers game. 
It's a matter of the heart. So if there's a church that you can find where you can feel like you're at home, go to that church. Be there. If you, fi- if you decide that this isn't the church for you, but you want to search and look for a church, I will help you find that church. It's not about this building. It's not about our people. It's about finding a place to call home. Finding a place that speaks life. That is immensely important. So it's not about us. We have three pastors here. Why do we have three pastors in a church of this size? Because it's my hope that on a personal level that we're able to reach each and every one of you and speak to you and walk with you and do life with you. And as you're struggling and as you're dealing with things, we walk alongside you, not in a place of judgment, but a place of life. We want to speak life. We want to show you what God has shown us. So as this church grows and God has shown me at the beginning of the year, you can ask anyone that's been here, God has shown me where this church is going. As this church goes, we bring in more pastors, we bring in more leaders, and we make sure that we do a job of taking care of you because you deserve it. You deserve nothing less than everything we have as your ministers, as your pastors. And if one of these pastors grows up, grows up, that's not right. If one of these pastors get to a place, I'm looking at you, Michael. If one of these pastors, if anybody in leadership gets to a place to where they feel that God has called them to start their church, then what do we do? It's our job to walk alongside them and encourage that. I want to be a church so big that if someone, if someone desires and God puts it on their heart to lead another church, I want to be the first person that makes a $10,000 donation to that ministry. What if we could do that? Some of you are not in a place to receive that just yet. But it's not about the small C church. It's not about us. It's about big C. It's about the body of Christ. And as we learn that, and as we adopt that, and as that becomes the way of life, then we'll see astronomical growth, not just in this building, but in our hearts. So I want to close with a little story, and then we're going to enter praise and worship one more time so we can leave on a wonderful note. And this is not my story. I found it on the interwebs, but bear with me. There was a man looking at his wife, looking at herself in the mirror. And she did this day after day in the morning when she got out of bed, and she would, oh, she would suck her tummy in and look at herself. And, you know, some of us, when we get old, parts of us start sagging. Well, she would lift that up a little bit. And she would lift that up, and she kept looking, and she was frowning, and she saw her body aging before her eyes. And how do you know after we hit a certain age, time starts flying way too fast? And her husband saw that. And one day, while she was gone, he took that mirror and he got rid of it. (laughs) She came home. She was surprised. Where's the mirror? Husband said, I got rid of it. Wife said, why? He said, every morning, I woke up and I saw you looking at yourself and I saw how disappointed you were and how you think you look. You might see parts of you sagging or your stomach getting larger or your behind getting bigger. You see all of that. 
but I see the mother of our children that has sacrificed so much so they can have everything that they want. You see an aging body, I see a beautiful woman that makes lunch so our family could be together, or makes dinner so our family could be together. That mirror is not representative of what I see in you, says the man. The mirrors that the devil puts in front of us is not representative of what God sees in us. If there's anybody here struggling, if there's anybody here dealing with something in their life, big or small, I want to invite you to come to the altar if you wish to come visit with me after service. I can get a little busy after service, but if you wrote your number down, I'll talk with you. We'll break bread together. If you need to get something right with God or if you need to meet him for the first time, we're going to do something right now. We're all going to bow our heads and we're going to pray to God right now. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for being a dad. Thank you for showing us what a mirror should show. Lord, thank you for walking with us, Lord. And even though we can't see you, sometimes we know you're there. Lord, it's my prayer right now for anyone dealing with something in their life, Lord, to bring that to you right now. And it's my wish for anyone that doesn't know you to open their heart and invite you in. Have them come to our leaders and let's do, let's have the sinner's prayer together. Let's wash away those sins and introduce these people to a life they've never been seen. And Lord, finally, I ask in prayer that you keep this church in a position to always, always, always speak life, even in the difficult times. Hold us accountable, Lord, as we try our best to do your work here. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If any of you has asked God into their hearts, come see me. If, you, if you, any of you want to, come see me, and we'll do that. Next Sunday is a time to rejoice. Next Sunday is a time to celebrate. Testimony is one of the most important things we could do as disciples. I want to encourage you to come back for that. We will be having a baptism service. If you'd like to be baptized, please sign up. If you're nervous about that, like a couple are, just text me or call the church or reach out to me. 